where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Wow, kind of higher pitch, but I like it. Wow, I guess we're going to have a big show. That it sets the tone. Sets, it always sets the tone. It does. Welcome in. It's a Balloon Party driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura and Old Toyota. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. That is Action Jackson. He wants to talk Clippers. He wants to talk Suns. He wants to talk Helks. He wants to talk Celtics. And he wants to talk Nuggets. And he wants to talk Timberwolves. That's right. Yeah. What a game. Trey Young, just hip deep in his bag last night. This audience is already unhappy about what took place last night in San Francisco, and you're going to force feed. You know what, a matter of fact, I'm not even going to say force feed. You're going to indoctrinate them. That's what you're going to do with your talk of the association. This is a Cardinal-centric complaint show today, along with what is the Little Piddles Wednesday? Oh, we got another half and half, Tim. Oh, wow, back-to-back half and half. Yeah, yet another Little Piddles half and half. But, Tim, this team won't cave. This Cardinal team will not cave. I thought you were going to say this Hawks team won't cave. And in oh, to Quinn Snyder. No, they will cave. They don't pull, They don't like defense down there in Atlanta. So defense, hockey, defense, Cardinals problems. What are we going to do? Nine and fifteen. Only two teams in the National League have worse records. Jackson, what in the world? Uh, we have the call of. Uh, I'm putting you in the spot. If I'm putting you in the spot, It'll take me just a moment. Cardinals have a one-run lead uh, in the bottom of the ninth, and Steve Sable from NFL Films is up at the plate. Uh, fun to see him back. Uh, in baseball and alive, and uh, and it's a long drive to center. John Miller uses multiple languages as the ball goes over the wall. How do you do, friends in the Bay Area? Uh, was that what the call was, sounded like? Yeah, here it is exactly. Okay, here is Sable the rookie. He is one for three. Last chance for the Giants, trailing four to three. Yastrzemski, who runs well, leads away from second. Swing. There's a high drive to center. Way back there. Still going. Adios. Pelota. It's a walk-off home run for Blake Sable. An electrifying moment at Oracle Park. And his teammates are jumping on his back. The Giants have won it. Jackson, we got a problem here. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. First of all, I love John Miller. He's so good. He's so good. Um... But yeah, I think on the Giants broadcast after that home run was, home run was hit, the broadcasters on the TV broadcast said, "If you would have told me at the beginning of the ninth inning that this was going to happen, uh, I would be Pinocchio. I'd be lying if I said that I thought that would happen." Yeah, it was pretty improbable for them to come back there in that ninth inning, especially against Ryan Helsley. You have uh, two teams in baseball, in the National League, I should say, with fewer wins than the Cardinals. Uh, we're just not going to count the A's. They have been uh, relegated, and I think Wrexham has replaced them in the AL West. Probably but, have just as good a chance of winning ball games. But, uh, yeah, the Nationals and the Rockies, two teams that are kind of taking the year off, yeah. uh, paying tribute to the National League Central in the uh, NL East and the NL West, uh, have less wins than the Cardinals. And here, here's, here's where I want to have, if we can, let's have a moment 
of honesty on sure. a show that is synonymous with truth telling. Yeah. I like him because he tells it like it is. That's what you do. Uh, but here, here is where I think a lot of people, if we we're doing a bell curve, let's visualize together a bell curve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most people who are Cardinal fans before the season started, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, and you can text in 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service text line, or leave a mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. I'll insist to Jackson that he plays it today. Thought the Cardinals were a good National League team that would likely be in the playoffs, whether it be via winning the Central or a wild card spot, but most likely not a world championship caliber roster. I think that's where most people, for visualizing the bell curve, the peak of said bell curve would be in that range. Yeah. Now, there were some who were higher than that. And thinking that they could do more. Mm-hmm. And there were some lower than that. And those who were lower than that were focused on the starting pitching. And understandably so. But I don't think many people at all expected them to have a 375 winning percentage as we head into the final few days of the month of April. And I also think it's important to present, just like, for example, the Rays have caught some hell, I suppose, catching some hell is overstating it, but have been discredited in their start because of their schedule. Sure. And now that they're playing some better competition, they're not necessarily on the the uh, the same caliber of run to start the season that they were, but they're still 20-4, and four, and they just finally lost at home. Um, the Cardinals have not really been playing great teams here as of late. Start of the season with three straight legit playoff contenders in the Blue Jays, Braves, and Astro, uh, Brewers. excuse me. But since then, you have to go back. That's the last time they won a series in Colorado. Uh, it has been, it's been rough. And it, we got the Ali Marmolson that we played on TMA. If I'm putting you on the spot again, it's tough to map out the show when we end one show at 9.59 and the next one starts at 10.01. So I hate to put you on the spot. No, I got but, it. Okay, all right, here's what Ali Marmol had to say. You had a game where so many Jimmy things the went right. Um, all the way toward the end and it gets away. Is that kind of kind of what you guys have been dealing with this season, right? Um, yeah, that was a well-played game. Uh, guy as well. I mean, guys came off the bench, did a nice job, uh, gave us a chance there. The bullpen, Cabby did a unbelievable job. Gio did his. Getting that double play was big. Um, to answer your question, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, we're going through through a tough one and. When you suffer like this, it, it creates some perseverance and perseverance character. And I, I'll tell you right now, this will serve us well down the road. Um, this group's not going to cave. I don't care what people think. Um, and this will serve us extremely well when we get into September. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that part right there. I don't know if losing games serves you well. Right. I think perhaps a spot where a player is going to come back from injury and then it forces the team to give players opportunities who might be needed in September would be an example of serving you well. Uh, I also would respectfully disagree with a a well-played game. And I I could be off. You tell me if I I saw this correctly. Mm -hmm. There was a gentleman who placed the San Francisco Giants who was at first base and there was not a batted ball and he scored. That is accurate, Tim. Okay, because the ball was thrown into the outfield. 
It was traveling at approximately four miles an hour when the center fielder, Dylan Carlson, ran past it and said runner is scampering, confused as the day is long. Is this a, why am I running? Is this a drill? And then he scores. That is correct. I mean, that's important. Yeah, that's... That counts, especially for a team that isn't necessarily having a lot of offense. Uh, you know, he talked about, I, I get up each morning and I watch the uh, the post game on the uh, Bally's app, which I don't know how many other people do this, but you go to it and there are Mike Schilt press conferences <laughs> that are up first. And you have to like go to the dark web to find the one from the night before as that company continues to shine bright like a diamond. But I find it, and I saw the Arlie Marmol press conference, and it said this team won't cave. And I thought to myself, I know it's 4.45 in the morning, but I'm pretty sure that was the sound from yesterday <laughs> where he said this team won't cave. The other thing is, in that press, in that I don't know if it was that clip or earlier in the press conference with Marmol, uh, he said Helsley threw a good pitch. Well, you, you watch Helsley on the the dark web, uh, he talks about, I made one really bad pitch. I don't know, which one was it? Uh, it's three straight sliders. Steve Sable, NFL Films, uh, was sitting on the one on 02, and he deposited it, and Helsley called it a bad pitch. Marmol said it was a good pitch. What we can agree on is it was a pitch. It was a pitch. Ah, yes. yes. Ball. <laughs> and off it goes. Now, I would say that if you're in a spot where let's flip the record and say you're 15 and nine as opposed to nine and 15, and you lost a couple of tough games, but you saw flashes of things that you think are going to be important or a player contributing who hadn't been contributing, then I think you could tell your team and tell your fans that this is going to be valuable when September rolls around. Internally, however, I think many fans are starting to wonder what the Cardinals' relevance will be in September. Talked about it yesterday, Jackson, that I think because of the perennial contention that the Cardinals have had since the year 2000, that the natural feeling in the St. Louis area, and for Cardinal fans who are fans living in other cities and in the, in the Midwest and in the South, it's like, well, inevitably it's going to get right. And you see the names in the lineup, and you go, inevitably it's going to get right. But yet it continues to have these really rough outings. I mean, mm-hmm. it required a comeback to get to the lead last night. And then when they do have it, unfortunately, there is Helsley. Now, I know I realize Helsley, whether the focal point is his use or, wow, I wonder if there's a carryover effect from the debacle against the Phillies in game one of the wild card. If you do look at his numbers this year, I mean, he's had two outings where he got hit right. and lost the game, and that was the opener. Yep. And now the one in, in San Francisco. Just strike away, and boom, there it goes. And now this continues. Uh, and then here is another element that is a problem from a bigger picture perspective for the Cardinals. You go, okay, well, let's try to turn the page and get it right tonight. Who's on the mound? Steven Matz. Oh, okay. That's going to make it a little more difficult. Yeah. Uh, he is not a stopper. That's just the reality of it. Not a shot personally at Steven Matz. It's just the set of circumstances that the Cardinals have. They're throwing out a guy to try to stop a skid with a 6.55 ERA, and Anthony Desclafini is on the mound for the Giants. Now, it's not like he is, you know, Justin Verlander, but he is carrying a 2.63 ERA and a 0.88 whip. So you got a lineup that's had its issues. 
You've got a star player that hasn't hit a home run since April 12th and Nolan Arenado and has also been playing, you know, I don't know. If I, John Denton says he's not hurt. I don't know what's going on with right. his playing time. Uh, Jordan Walker has now started three of the last four games. Uh, Alec Burleson, you know, won that competition where he gets to start every game. I think it was a card game. <laughs> and the Cardinals are in a spot where not only have they lost eight uh, opening games in each series, but they also are in a spot where they don't have a pitcher where you go, okay, this guy's coming up. He'll stop the bleeding. It's not what you have. You sit there and you go, God, you got to get Steven Matz and you got to get to Disney tonight. And otherwise, you're going to have yourself another real problem and go into the final game of a series hoping to avoid a sweep, which is what happened this past weekend in Seattle, which is what happened last week in St. Louis against Arizona. And it wasn't a sweep situation against Pittsburgh the previous weekend. It was a four-game series, but they had to win on Sunday to avoid losing three or four. Right. And I, I rattle off this opposition, and I'm going, that's Pittsburgh Pirates, and I realize it's a wonderful story at this point. I don't know if they're going to be there when the final shot is fired. I, if the Cardinals are going to have a rough year, I'd be amused by that. I would actually pull for them just because it's been 30 years since they've won a – I don't even know if they, they won a division then, but they didn't win a playoff series, uh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think you might have to go back to 79 in the yeah. We Are Family group I think that's right. with uh, Pop Stargell. Um, that the Cardinals lost the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, the Mariners – and the Giants. And one is above 500. One is hanging around the uh, National League West in the Diamondbacks. Uh, the other one, the Mariners under 500, and now the Giants, which is a team that isn't necessarily expected to do much this year. My point is, is this isn't necessarily a run where you're going, oh, my God, they're going up against yeah, the, stiffest of the, the, the Rays, the Mets, the Astros, whoever you would consider to be the best of the best when it's all said and done. So that's a concern. I'll continue to say it, but now I'm starting to wonder if I really mean it deep down. I just can't believe that this team is going to win 37.5% of their games. Right. So if you gave gave me, or this is the team going to finish 500 or above, I would go, yeah, they got to. But am I just saying that because of their history and not necessarily what I'm seeing? I think the offense inevitably has to be better. It just has to be. Edmonds getting going. Gorman has been going. Can't imagine Arnado and, and Goldschmidt not at some point just getting on fire and just carrying the team. Yeah. That will happen. It's got to happen. The ability is there. And yes, I realize Paul Goldschmidt is older, but nine months ago he's the MVP. Um, so I just I just can't imagine that this thing is going to spiral. But I go back to this and tie it all together here on the Blue Station. I don't think many Blues fans went into the year thinking that was a Stanley Cup team, but they sure as hell didn't think it was a team that was going to be aggressively selling weeks out before the deadline. So because of that, because of that recent PTSD sports-wise, that I think people are maybe more apt to go, yeah, maybe this team doesn't have it. I still can't imagine that, but they also have so many question marks at pitching that I just don't know if it if it if it can be fixed. Here's a statistic, a statistic from Buster Olney early this morning. Jackson and I were up early in the morning, uh, and and here is what he tweeted out. Uh, he says from uh, Sarah Lang, uh, Sarah Langs, who is uh, an MLB writer. She used to work on ESPN, and he tweets out her stats often. 
I asked her how many games the Cardinals played with their team ERA, team ERA, at 4.48 or higher over the last 14 years. And I would tell you the Cardinals have kind of had two different chapters with a handful of players overlapping the chapters since since 2000. Uh, Wainwright, Molina, and Pujols would be the three that were a part of that early run and then also carried over into what was a very good 2009 team that got swept by the Dodgers but had a great regular season, two of the top three in the Cy Young. A 2010 team that was in the mix of the playoffs but came up short against the Reds. And then that run of going to four straight uh, NLCSs in 11, 12, 13, 14, which included two pennants and one world championship, and then a 100-win team in 2015. So there's, there's what you got. So that's starting in 2009. Team ERA of 4.48 or higher over the last 14 years. In 2009, they had two games where the team ERA was 4.48 or higher. In 2010, there was one game where, of, of 162 where the team ERA was 4.48 or higher. In 2011, uh, World Championship year, three. So that's a total of six, 2009 through 2011. They had zero in 2012, a year they were one win away from the World Series. So we're still at six games from 2009 through 2012. They won the pennant in 2013. The team had one game in which it had a team ERA of 4.48 or higher. So now we're at seven. 2014, another NLCS year, one game. So now we're at eight. None in 2015. Great starting pitching that year, but they lost to the Cubs in the first round, won 100 games. 2016, three. 2017, seven. 2018, five. 2019, 11. 2020 pandemic year, zero. 2021, 18. And in 2023, so far, 21 of their first 23 games, the Cardinal team ERA has been 4.48 or higher. Jeez. So for more than a decade, they didn't have 21 games in which they were uh, carrying a team ERA of 4.48 or higher. And in the first month of the 2023 season, the team ERA is 4.48 or higher for 21 of the 23 games. And that would be one thing, I think, if we were talking about the offense having some kind of outlier team batting average or OPS that does not mix with the previous uh, 13 or 14 seasons because people weren't necessarily really down on the lineup going into the season. The problem is, is that fans and baseball observers were going, I wonder what the Cardinals are doing with their pitching this year. I guess, and if you recall, Buster Olney, who I'm reading his tweet here, was on with us before the season started. I was down in Jupiter. I can picture I was when he said, I would imagine the Cardinals will trade from their surplus offensively to acquire a starting pitcher. And and do you remember the name he said? Corbin it, Burns. Corbin Burns, that's right. Yeah. Well, Corbin Burns' team is tied for first place, and the right. Cardinals are tied for last place. And the Cardinals are carrying an ERA that many fans go, we knew this was a problem going into the season. And here they are in last place also experiencing some offensive problems, but the offense doesn't have any latitude because the starting rotation doesn't usually give them starts that can shut down the opposition. They have four quality starts, three from one guy who was not signed past this year. I still, I still, I can't wrap my mind around it's, it's just, it's, this is a disaster year. I still am not there. But when you have problems on multiple fronts, it's it's you start to just go. Well, I'm hoping 
that's not the case, as opposed to, no, here is why it's not the case, because the data is starting to tell you otherwise. Your, starts, your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. Air Comfort Service text line will continue the Cardinal discussion and the Little Piddles half and half coming your way. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Actor and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the program, and we welcome you to get involved anytime you'd like. Air Comfort Service, text line 314-399-9646. And uh, a lot of discussion here, of course, on the Cardinals this morning, and we welcome you to uh, participate. Jackson, I was uh, giving a a monologue of sorts. Uh, What is your opinion on uh, the state of the union at this moment with a nine and 15 ball club? Well, if I remember correct, I'm trying to think back to like the discourse before the season. And I felt like the consensus was that this is a good to almost very good lineup with a high ceiling and a relatively high floor that might be held back by a pitching staff. We've seen the latter certainly be the case, but also you now have that floor is lower than we thought it was going to be. The runners of scoring position is, is, somewhat brutal at times. And, uh, you know, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, your two anchors on in the lineup, are currently not hitting to their standard or even, honestly, in Arenado's case, even close to the standard. So you're getting most of your offense from, like, Nolan Gorman. Edmonds obviously been yeah, he, uh, very effective he recently. He part of the ballpark last night. He sure did, right? Dead center. And um, so that's it's a strange – I. Arenado, like I think he has the worst OPS of any of the starters. That won't be the case at all, I don't think. I think they're gonna bats are gonna warm up. So I'm not as concerned on the offensive front, but from a starting pitching standpoint, very concerned. And what is the, there's no moves really at the moment or even in the near future to make. They can't really do much. They'll get Wayne right back. But he didn't have a great start in double yeah, A. He last pitched night. last night in Wichita and that did not go particularly well. Now I I, I it, just for the purpose of being just real blunt about, uh, you know, a, a start in which you're rehabbing, certainly you can go, my God, he got rocked in Wichita. That isn't good. And I understand that. I would say that I'm not sure if he's out there treating that start like he would if he were pitching here next week against the Angels. Right. I know that he also might have been. But I think it's important. I think if we're thinking from a logical perspective, a lot of people can understand that. He's trying to make sure he feels right, I think, not going, man, we really got to win this one tonight. Uh, Adam Wainwright responded to Katie Wu, who writes for The Athletic and is a regular on BK and Ferrario, when she tweeted out his stat line. Adam Wainwright's second rehab start went like this. Four and a third innings pitched, seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, one strikeout, 74 pitches, 52 strikes. We'll look at Velo, but most of the damage came off on off-speed pitches. The Cardinals are still deciding if Wainwright will pitch a third rehab outing. Uh, And Wainwright responded, uh, Looking forward to proving every last one of you underneath this wrong, meaning in the comments. Uh, Thanks for the motivation. There's a balance. Read the comments and get depressed, or read the comments and put the war paint on. See you soon. So that is Adam Wainwright's response. That wasn't directed at Katie. Katie was just tweeting out, numbers she wasn't like lighting them up or anything (laughs) like that she's tweeting out numbers so i don't know i just i I don't know uh naturally as is the case when a team is truly underachieving and i don't know even if you weren't real bullish on the cardinals i don't think you could have seen this coming 
um, that the manager who does carry over some negative equity from last year's in particular game one against the Phillies and the way that that went down, um, he, Ali Marmol is, is catching a lot of hell. I think the Tyler O'Neill manner with which that was handled, that, that called into question some leadership traits for some. Um, I, as I said, I, I, I watch, you know, they had Woodford on, they had Helsley on, and they had Marmol on, on, on Valley Sports Midwest in the post game. And I watched that and he was, you know, he was snippy, I suppose would be the word, but I, you know, Bill Belichick is, is synonymous with snippy. Sure. Nick Saban is synonymous with grumpy. So just because a manager or a head coach is look at, I'll, I'll go and, and get Jackson in the discussion. Pop in San Antonio, mm-hmm. not exactly the most delightful interview. Persnickety. But yet, but yet over the last quarter century, who's had more success yeah. than Pop in the Spurs in in, in your association? So uh, I, I don't that part. I get it. So I. I this to me is more about a roster construction situation. Right. But when you're losing, they don't cut away to John Mozeliak or Michael Gersh. They cut to the manager. Right. And that's it's human nature subconsciously to go, that you know guy, what is he doing? I don't really know what he did last night that played a role in that. Nothing. I mean, I don't necessarily agree that it was a well-played game. I guess if our bar now has been lowered to, you know, certain things, that maybe it's a well-played game because they came back, but still they threw a ball into the outfield and the center fielder overran it, and a guy scored from first base without a bad ball and a, and with a team that's not really scoring real well. But you did have a comeback. You did have guys come out of the bullpen and, you know, get the job done up until Helsley had his issues in the ninth inning. Either way, if you tell me, well, the Cardinals are going to be really underachieving in the first month of the season, how do you think it's going to happen? I'd go, oh, they probably have some starting pitching problems that affect the first few innings of games and then compound to inevitably affect the bullpen. And then when they're playing quality starting pitchers, I would say maybe they're having problems scoring runs. Thing is, I don't really feel like they faced that many all-star caliber starting pitchers just yet this season. Not many. Even when they faced the Braves, the Braves were kind of piecemealing their rotation together at that point in the season. So, you know, just, you know, it was Manoa and Gaussman out of the gate to start the season when they played the Blue Jays. And Mm -hmm. then you had the Braves um, and the Brewers. But then it's been Rockies, Pirates, Diamondbacks, Mariners, and Giants. I mean, Luis Castillo would be. Yeah, I think he actually might be the the best. And, and 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 they got to him. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I was confused this off season, and I and it's tough here because deep down the truth is I just don't believe that this thing is going to go down the road that the Blues season went down. Mm-hmm. But I understand when a team has lost like this team has lost, especially after a loss like last night, the nature of the fan, which is totally healthy and standard, is to be really upset, just like. For example, let's say the Cardinals were hosting the Giants and they were the ones who a guy came off the bench, a Rule 5 guy, and you go, who's this? And he hits a game-winning home run. Then fans most likely would be higher than perhaps it deserves. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of, of being a fan. But we're not talking about just one game at this point. Now we're talking about 9-15. and 15, And we're talking about, as I stated with that Buster Olney statistic, 
uh, from Sarah Langs, the the team ERA being where it is and going, okay, well, let's see if you can turn it around tonight. How are they going to bounce back? Steven Matz, oh boy. You know, it just, that's the problem when you have a rotation made up of, of question marks. And I would gather that right now, Jackson, if you were to rank the top two starters, it would be pretty obvious who has been the best so far. Yeah, Montgomery and Flaherty. Okay. And reading a column yesterday from Jeff Passan, he said teams to buy into their great starts, teams to not buy into their bad starts. Cardinals were listed as one of those teams. He said he just can't imagine that that team is going to fall off. But he said players whose numbers at this moment are concerning. And he only listed five players. And he said Jack Flaherty is one of those. Really? And that's because of the control issue. Sure. And teams know he's not finding the zone, and so they're laying off. But in the second half of 2019, when he was going off, when he was Bob Gibson, 1968, uh, he was able to paint corners, and guys had to go fishing for balls that were out of the zone. Well, now they know to lay off, and so they're waiting on him, and that's why he's had some really hard-hit balls or some outings where he's walked a bunch of players. So if your two top pitchers, one of them is, has some numbers that would indicate there's actually a regression coming, mm-hmm. And the other one is Jordan Montgomery, who, don't get me wrong, is solid, but he is a wide-delta guy in that he can go out there and he can get rocked. And then you polish it off the rotation with a guy who struggled last night in Wichita, who may or may not be back after two rehab starts, Miles Michaelis, who has not necessarily been great, and Jake Woodford and Steven Matz, uh, if Wainwright isn't back, the offense has to be have going to be, because that yeah. just isn't a rotation that's going to shut anybody down. And right. that is why this problem isn't as simple as the pitching getting fixed. It The pitching needs to be performing at a median level for what these guys are, and then the bats have to pick up across the board because they're going to have to score six or seven runs in order to win games. And that, to me, is not something I put on Ali Marmol. Yeah. I'll call it how I see it. I was, I, you know, was all over the the Tyler O'Neill thing, not because I was angry about it. I just thought it was an odd move um, to call out effort of an individual publicly, but I don't think that is the reason why the team is nine and fifteen. I view it as roster construction, which then takes me back to the original point. I'm confused. I was confused by the offseason. I'm confused as to what's going on that this team is nine and fifteen and really not going through a real difficult portion of the schedule to be nine and fifteen. There is no point in the near future where you go, okay, they got through this. Now let's see what's going to happen. Best case scenario, they split the series with the Giants. And then they head to Los Angeles. And I realize the Dodgers aren't off to the start that they would have expected, even though the Dodgers are now in first place, passing the Diamondbacks, who uh, are 13-12. and 12. But 13-11 doesn't indicate a Dodgers team that was the one the Cardinals faced in 2021 that was sitting there with a billion wins. Um, this is a different deal. But still, you got to go to Chavez Ravine, and then you come home. And you got Shohei Otani and Mike Trout coming right. to town. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The you can maybe easy. exhale when the Detroit Tigers show up for their tour following the Angels. Yeah, but you got two more against the Giants with Stephen Matz on the mound tonight. You got three against the Dodgers and three against the Angels. That's that's eight more games before the the Detroit Tigers come to town. And at this point, it'd be wonderful they go five and three or six and two. I just don't know if I've seen anything that would indicate that that is real likely. Your thoughts, 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service. Tax line cardinal discussion continuing, plus the little piddles half and half coming your way in the second half of Balloon Party, driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're 
right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. Strip by Mungan, St. Louis Acura, and all the Toyota Tim McKernan Action Jackson with you. And uh, we have another 18 minutes uh, here on the program. Then BK and Ferrario are going to come in. Jackson, you have the half and half? I do. I have the Little Pills half and half. It's, uh, I'm a half and half fan. Yeah, they're good. I think it's a nice balance of, of, of relevant uh, cardinal questions or just, you know, local area sports questions. Local area sports. While also uh, blending that with some sports business questions. Okay, fair enough. There it is. That's what the half and half is. Now you shall hear the questions. Yep. Here it is. So, uh, of course, we're going to start kick it off with an NBA context question, but much larger theme. Several NBA players have come under fire from national host and analyst for avoiding the post-game media. Julius Randle avoided them on Sunday after being benched in the fourth quarter, and Dylan Brooks has skipped his last two media opportunities. First, do you think, regardless of the outcome, that players have an obligation to talk to the media? Where do you stand on this across all sports? Um... It depends on what the rules of the association or the league is. Personally, if I am in that position, uh, and I was close, I I was nearly a middle linebacker um, Mm -hmm. for the Chargers. Right. Politics as well. It was. It was was, whoever donated the most. Uh, I would would make myself available. I say as a guy who never played a meaningful (laughs) game ever. Uh, So that... Because, number one, I think that sets a tone of accountability. Yep. And number two, the the reality is when it's all said and done, the reason why you have, even if you're making the league minimum, you're making half a million plus, I'm talking baseball now, sure. uh, most likely you're making millions of dollars a year is because of the fans, and this is your chance to communicate with the fans, assuming you don't want to deal with the septic tank that is social media. So I think it is a positive thing to do, and I think a tone is being set in particular in the association right now with Randall and Brooks of avoiding it. Brooks loved the microphone after they won, and he got LeBron going, and now LeBron has put it on him the last couple of nights, and he's gone into hiding. Yeah, well, Dylan Brooks is... uh, That's what he's known for. Yeah, he's he's a different kind of animal there. I don't... He's just... An interesting guy, I would say that with about Dylan Brooks. He's an interesting guy, but uh, the... so I'm pro accountability. That's what I am. I'm pro accountability by doing the interviews. Yeah, absolutely, and think... answering the questions. And I always like that. I've said this before, but we joke about on on my podcast, Tim McKernan Show podcast. There are conspiracy theories regarding TMA, which has been on now for 20 years, almost 20 years, 19 years. And I said, bring them in. I will answer them. Right. And we've gotten a total of two emails <laughs> on those. But I got guys sending in their stories of their hookups, you know, which, hey, fine with me. Um, but but I, I like to be able to answer the questions as opposed to have people theorizing things and you don't. And in this case, if you if you talked a big game, for example, if you want to use Brooks right. after the LeBron game, uh, and now you go into hiding, well, that doesn't really... Right. It says it actually says more. Than, I couldn't agree with you more. It does. It, it says, says more, it by, says not more by not talking than just going up there and talking. That's kind of like what Barkley was saying about Julius Randle's situation. They won that game in which he didn't speak to the media, but he was benched in the fourth quarter. It's like you know, if you if you want to tip your hand that you're upset about being benched in the fourth quarter, then you don't talk to the media. If you don't want that to happen, just go ahead and talk. And even if, and his point is, you can't just talk when things are going right. Like you have to be able to speak, and it does. You can actually kind of create your own narrative in a sense if you do speak the narrative is created for you when you don't and i think that's the 
That's the biggest thing there. I agree with that. Uh, next half and half question. We're going to take this half and half back out to the Bay. Uh, but the other side of the Bay, we're going to talk a little bit about Oakland. The Oakland, Oakland A's. Baby. And the MLB are considering having the team share a ballpark with their AAA team, coincidentally in Las Vegas, mm. uh, once their lease is up with the Coliseum in 2024. The stadium has a capacity of 10,000 people, Tim. Nice. Uh, do you think from an optic standpoint, this is a tough scene for the MLB and having a team play in a ballpark with one-fourth of the capacity of most of the other teams, is there another organization in sports that is in the basement in all aspects of, of the team as the Oakland A's? no. Uh, the A's have been in this spot for a while. I mean, the Chargers were playing in an MLS stadium yep. in between leaving San Diego and and going to be a, a tenant of the the steamer uh, in Los Angeles. But this is what they are claiming is going to save the franchise: Las Vegas and a new building, which is only going to be what thirty thirty five thousand retractable roof stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, I think their thought is, let's get out of Oakland ASAP, and a minor league stadium in Las Vegas is better than anything else. An NFL team can't be in, in the dire straits that the A's are because of revenue sharing. Right. I don't know. What's what's the example in the NBA of the absolute doormat? It would have been, I mean, the, 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 been the Kings, the, but yeah, here they come, anymore. like the beam. And then I would say the Arizona Coyotes That's in the NHL I, would be— That was my first thought. Would be the one. Because they play in a college arena where— they hold a lot less fans than the rest of the. So the Coyotes are the only the, one. That the I could Rays think of. would be the one where the, yeah. you have the most indirect correlation. You got a terrible building and a terrible location, but you got the best team in baseball right. and a team that has been doing it for a while. With this, they've kind of taken over the A's of being the team that does it with a small time operation and is in contention more often than they are not. This year being certainly an outlier with the kind of run they are off to start the season. All right, let's break here. So we have a full segment in the uh, last segment, BK and Ferrario, top of the hour. You are always welcome to participate, too, by texting in 314-399-9646. The second half of the half and a half coming up here on Balloon Party, driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, and all Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Seven minutes of radio glory remaining in today's show. And Jackson, well, what do you have for us? I got a big picture question here, I Tim. like a big picture question. Those get me going. Yep, and it kind of blends sports business with uh, the current situation with uh, the Cardinals. You're serving me my red meat. Bill. I am, I am. Uh, this is a big picture, way too early to ask, but I'm going to ask anyway type of question. The Cardinals continue to struggle throughout the season. They miss the playoffs. Do you think that Mosellock and the team would consider firing Ali Mormol? My real reason for asking is less than an analytical question, more of culture-based. We've spoken before about the Cardinals having a Pittsburgh Steeler-like track record of long coaching tenures. Well, they if, did. That's that's over. Right. If Marmol were to be sacked, that's three managers in just over a decade for a Blue Blood baseball team. Is that something to note in terms of Marmol's future, or do you think the front office is strictly focused on the product in the field and less so on the cultural outlook? Um, no, I think if there is a real issue, which I am not saying that there is, right. I want to be clear, I'm just answering your hypothetical question. Right. And I would, you know, Mike Matheny was let go in, in 18, then you had Schilt in 19, 20, and 21, and now Marmol in 22 and 23. So that would be, you know, totally against. That's that's three managers since 2018. Yep. Well, you go Whitey Herzog, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa. Yeah. That carried you through 1980 all the way to 2011. Right. Here we are talking 2012 to 2023. 
uh, for these three managers when Matheny took over following LaRusse's, at the moment, retirement. So, yeah, if there's a cultural issue, sure. I just... That 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 that's getting in. That's a hundred percent speculative. I'm not chastising you for right, the question. Right. It, the only way I think you fire him, even though I have seen texts both on 101 ESPN and TMA asking about that question, uh, is if he is responsible for the problems. If multiple people, such as a Paul Goldschmidt, Adam Wainwright, Nolan Arenado, who have that kind of credibility, were to tell Bill DeWitt, John Mazalock, that hey, we got a real problem here. This thing. I don't, I don't see it that way. Yeah. I just don't see it that way. And that, and again, I was outspoken on, I guess, the Tyler O'Neill thing. I thought that was rather obvious. That you know, look at, you know, great leaders, business or sports, calling out individuals' efforts publicly. That isn't usually a trait that that exists, uh, especially the fifth game of the season after the guy was named the starting center fielder, but whatever that, but just because of that doesn't mean, Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He could, it could be one where, you know, it's just like, yeah, probably with the benefit of hindsight, that's what I mean. We all have things. Sure. Back, like, my God, what were we doing? So I can't hold that against him forever at all. It's, it's, it's it might have been a mistake or maybe that is the way he thinks it was the right thing to do because they know more about what Tyler O'Neill was doing than, than we do. I don't know. He is the same guy who managed them to a great year last year. And that's one of the problems with, which is what irritates me as a longtime baseball fan, that you can have a really good year. And I thought last year was a great year, not just because of the Pujols accomplishments and the farewell tour with Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols and the romanticism element of that, but because the team was damn good. But then when you have a best of three series, you go, oh, well, that was a disappointing year, but that's not necessarily the way that it really was. If you take yourself back, were you entertained and did you enjoy it? Did you think that was a good team? But it's colored by what took place in a matter of 24 hours against the Phillies. And that's why I hate the best of three after you play 162 games. Digressing from that, he was the manager for 162 games. Now, if he is responsible for this team really underachieving, then I suppose it's possible, but I just don't think that that is the case. And I still would wager that they are going to wind up being 500 or better. But I know right now, hey, I wouldn't blame people for going, I can't think that way anymore. I just, I, can't, I think right now this is the time to buy the Cardinal stock because it's as low priced as it might be. The issue that continues to be there and is not just fixable is the starting staff, right. which means that the offense has to get going because there's just no way. You're not going, well, Steven Matz is going to hold the Giants to one run through six and a third tonight. It can happen. Of course it could happen. He could throw a perfect game tonight. But what percentages would you allocate to these probabilities? Right. Whereas when you take a look at whomever you would cite as having the best staff in baseball, those are pitchers who can go out and go, okay, the offense might just need to score three runs tonight, and and that might be enough to win a game. The Cardinals don't have that in any of the five slots, and that is a problem when you have an offense that at this point is certainly underachieving. Yeah, totally. I, I have a philosophy kind of with baseball managers that like they can only do so much. You know, he can't make Wilson Contreras make a better throw from home. He can't make Dylan Carlson field that ball. P- they pitching changes, lineup construction, totally or lineup day-to-day are totally on them, but how the players play is how the players play. They've been playing this game their whole life. Uh, it is time for us to shut it down, Action Jackson. Uh, BK and Ferrario are coming up next, and uh, we will be back tomorrow with uh, John Denton. will be with us, and it is a day game in San Francisco, so we'll talk it over with John. 
Looking forward to that conversation, no matter what happens tonight. Hopefully the Cardinals get it back on track. We will see Stephen Matz on the mound, Anthony DeSclafini going on for the Giants. Cardinals try, try to get this thing on track. We shall see. Night game in San Francisco, day game tomorrow before they head to Southern California to take on the Dodgers. And then they fly back four and a half hours to take on the team that is uh, an hour drive to the south, the Angels. Uh, for Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.